Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to uh, Riverwood. If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Aaron, uh, lead pastor here. Uh, glad each and every one of you are here. Before we jump into our message, I just want to draw your attention to a couple of announcements. Uh, if, when you came in, hopefully you were given one of our uh, handouts. Inside of that is a blue connection card. Uh, just a note to the Riverwood family, uh, please fill that out. All you need to do is your uh, name at the top. Uh, and then use the back for uh, signing up, you know, for various things like the food bank when we do that or uh, the Waverly Cafe, which I'm going to announce here in a second. Uh, and then also prayer requests. Uh, we as an elder team are really dedicated to praying for you guys. Every time we get together, first thing we do is we just uh, spread the cards out and we just start to pray. Uh, so please put your prayer request on there. We would be an honor to get to come alongside you and pray for you on those things. Um, also, if you're a first time guest, if you're willing to fill out the entire front of that card, we donate $5 to Compassion International for every first time guest that fills that out. Uh, we just collect those at the end. Uh, we promise you we're not going to uh, spam you and, and bother you a ton, but we would love to just honor uh, a child. Uh, Compassion as an, or as an organization has a goal to release children from poverty in Jesus' name. And so we just would love to change the life of a child by honoring your presence with us today. So if you'd fill that out, we would really appreciate that and we will gather those at the end of our worship gathering. Uh, a couple things I want to draw your attention to. Uh, as I mentioned, we are serving at the, uh, oh wait, first, today. Uh, Riverwood Partners, please stick around. We hope to start about 1130. We're just going to have a short 30 minute uh, meeting where we're going to affirm uh, Matt to become an elder and then look at our budget uh, and some of the kind of future things where we see ourselves going. So please stick around afterwards and we really are going to work to keep that at 30 minutes or under uh, so you can get out of here and get to lunch. And uh, for those of you with kiddos, uh, the kiddos won't hate us. Uh, so we hope to do that in 30 minutes. Um, and then uh, signing up for the Waverly Cafe. Uh, Lori, uh, how many do we roughly have right now? Okay, so we have three so far, so we probably need at least another four or five minimum. All right, so if you were available to help serve on that Wednesday, uh, roughly 5 to 6.45, we could really use your help. Uh, we'd love to have you. It's a lot of fun. We serve probably 120 to 150 people a meal on that night. The food's all provided. They just need people to help uh, dish it out, and uh, we would be honored to do that. So if you can join us, we'd love to have you uh, help us out. Then uh, we are uh, baking for veterans. We've done this the last uh, two years. Uh, so we need baked goods, and then we need people to work a table to sell those baked goods. All of the money raised goes to the LZ Phoenix. It is a shelter here in Waverly that is a transitional housing for veterans and their families. And so uh, they, it, you know, to operate a house, provide it, it takes money. And so they've asked us the last few years if we would do the bake sale portion. We have. We've seen great success. So if you're willing to bake, would you put that on your connection? card, and we will get that to Lori and Chrissy, who are helping to coordinate this. And if you're willing to serve at the table, even just an hour shift, would you sign up back on the back table? There is a, a sign-up sheet, and you can uh, do that as well. So you can do both, uh, or just one or the other, but we'd love to have your, your help. And then I think I had one more, Zion. Is that right? Hey, I'm here. Okay, wait. Patrick pause it, pause it, pause it. Go back. Okay, so Patrick, our church planner, uh, came down this week. He wanted to bring a couple of youth uh, with him. He wanted them to see a small town. Uh, and uh, he also asked if there was a project they could help with. So they painted back in the preschool room. And I asked Patrick if he would just give us a short update. So Zion, would you play it now? And Jameer, they helped with a project, helping paint here in the preschool room. So if you need to, go back and check it out. Uh, but I also just wanted to get an update from these guys on how things are going up in North Minneapolis. Yeah, thanks for having us down here. Uh, we're having a good time. This is way different than North Minneapolis. <laughs> uh, things are going good. We have 11 people, 11 adults right now in our launch group, so that's growing. We have our first two services 
in November, and then we're going to have weekly evening services uh, leading up till Christmas, and uh, things are going good. We're excited uh, about how things are going. Jameer, what's your news? I got baptized. You got yeah. baptized. Yeah. Yeah. And what's your favorite part of the trip? That we went to a friend's house, and it's fun. And you always ruin the fun. And I always ruin the fun. Yeah. And <laughs> Cheryl, thanks for hosting those guys. Uh, also, Bridget's not here. She's back serving, but thanks to Bridget for helping coordinate that. And if you have a chance, just pop your head into the preschool room and you can see a little bit of their work. Well, this morning we are continuing on in the life edition of our Everyday Gospel series. And today we're going to be talking about the gospel and rest. And when I was planning my message, I was originally thinking I would start with a story about a time that was really, really busy in life. I mean, there have been a numerous seasons in life, whether it was in college, or in ministry or planting a church or just having four children when things just were so full. But as I was sharing, writing out one particular story from my college days, I suddenly realized I, I needed to kind of pause and rethink this through. Because as I'm writing out the story, all of a sudden I had a fear that rather than helping relate to you and the busyness you find in your own life, I might inadvertently sound like I'm bragging that I'm actually better than you. Because you see, in our culture, busyness is worn like a badge of honor. And when people go on and on about how full they are, how busy they are, they act like, oh, this is just awful, this is so much. And yet, somehow, they still feel elevated. I mean, I know people within Waverly that work a more than full-time job, all right? Not just a 40-hour a week. It's like a 50, 60-hour a week type of position. And yet, they're still on three or four boards. They still seem to find time to go and work out. They have children, and they always seem to make it to all of their kids' activities. You, you just look at all that they're doing, and you can't help but think, I don't know how they do it all. They must be better than me. Our culture is busy. I mean, I even know retired people who say, if I had known retirement was going to be so busy, I would have just kept on working. Like life just, it's so easy to add so much to pack out the schedule and just make ourselves so full. Because somehow in our mind, we have believed that I'm a little bit better if I'm a little bit busier. And so we wear it like a badge of honor. But there is a really, there is a danger in this. The danger is that it takes a toll. I don't think we sometimes realize just how much of a toll it takes. I mean, studies continue to show the busier you are, the more stressed you often are. And stress really begins to take a toll on your health. I think if we stopped and really tried to think about it, we probably could think of someone who lost a relationship because they were so busy. I don't think we realize the toll that busyness takes upon our everyday living. Uh, even the most gifted, capable people, like people who just have the, a huge, large capacity of time and resources, even they cannot stay on 24-7. It takes a toll. And so we have to take a break. We have to find rest. That's why today we're going to take a whole Sunday just to talk about rest. 
But as I was working on this message uh, this week, I was, I was originally starting to think about, you know, just talking about sleep or, you know, a day off. And those would be really, really good. But as I started jumping into the scripture and started studying, I started realizing that the scripture actually calls us to something else, to something deeper than just taking a day off. I think that the scriptures knows wisely that so often what we really crave is true rest. Not, not just a temporary reprieve, but like a true, deep, lasting spiritual rest. Like that's what we really, really long for and want. The problem is we go after deep rest through shallow means. Like we somehow think I will find complete contentment and satisfaction if I could just binge watch another Netflix show. That, that's what we fool ourselves into thinking. And so today we're going to see that finding true rest is not going to come from watching yet another show. It's not going to come through just getting a certain day. It's not going to come by getting to a certain place. Today we're going to see that the type of rest that we all long for is actually found in a person. The person of Jesus. And so I want us to go to the scriptures today. And before we do that, I want to pray, but I want to do something just a little bit differently today. As we're talking about rest, I just really want each of us in the right place, the right frame of mind. So if you're willing to do this, I'm going to ask you to put your feet flat on the floor. Just kind of sit up straight, relax your shoulders, and put your hands out. Now, if you think this is really hokey and weird, please, I'm not going to arm twist you into this. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. We're going to first pray with our hands up. And during the prayer, then, I'm going to talk about putting our hands down. And so we're going to do that action. And then we're going to put them back up one last time. All right? So if you're willing to do this with me, let us pray. So Heavenly Father, right now we come before you with our hands up. In them, we are holding our anxieties, our worries, our burdens, our schedules, our to-do list, that broken relationship, the stress at work, the, the financial crisis we're facing. Lord, right now we hold all of it before you. And that is why right now, Lord, we just turn our hands down. We place all of these things at your feet. Jesus, you tell us that your burden is light. So we want to take upon your burden. So we lay these earthly things down before you. Empty in our hands so that we can turn them back up. And now with empty hands, Lord, we can receive from you. God, would you just pour into us through your Holy Spirit and your word, your truth, your light, your love. Jesus, in you is rest. Forgive us for the ways we've looked for in other places. So right now, help us to receive from you what you want us to hear, what you want us to get, because you have something far greater for us than we probably could ever imagine. So Lord, we're now yours. Let us receive from you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last week, uh, Jake kicked off this life edition portion of our Everyday Gospel series, and he did a fantastic job of talking about the gospel and work. If you missed that message last week, I really think you would benefit by hearing the content that he brought to us. So I would encourage you to go on the website or your favorite podcasting app, get a hold of it, and just give the 40 minutes. And if, you, if you're like me and you have a podcast app that allows you to speed it up a little bit, you can get through it a little faster. Uh, but I, honestly, if you're going to mow the lawn this week, or you got to clean the house, or you got a little trip before you, just pop in the headphones and just listen. Those 40 minutes will be worth it. But I just want to draw one thing out that he talked about last week, because it helps set up why we need this idea, this talk of rest. And that is so often we see work as being a result of sin. 
Like, like somehow in our mind, we think that, that when Adam and Eve sinned, that God then gave them work. I mean, at least that's what I think because that's how I parent. I mean, my kids do something wrong and I say, okay, clean, the, you know, empty the dishwasher, go mow the lawn. You know, like I give work as punishment. But that's not what God did. God gave them work before they ever sinned. Because God is a working God and he created humans in his image. So we are to be working beings. Work is not supposed to be a drudgery. It's supposed to be worship. But because of sin, one of two things happen. Instead of seeing worship as a gift, Jake pointed out that we see worship as a grief or as a God. It's, it's a grief. Like it's a burden. It's, it's pain. We hate it. Or it becomes a God. It becomes everything. We sacrifice to it. It's like this idol put on the mantle and we bring and give everything to it, hoping for some sort of identity and happiness out of it. That's why we need to talk about rest because finding a true deep rest suddenly allows you to find alleviation from work being grief. It also helps to knock that idol of work off of the mantle so that you don't give everything to it because you know the place that you really belong all because of this deep rest rest. That's why we need to talk about this today. And to help us discover this deep, true rest, we're going to go to the book of Hebrews. So if you brought a Bible, open it up to Hebrews chapter 3. Now, normally at this point, I typically will say something to the effect of, if you didn't bring a Bible, would you stop by the table and get one? All right, all that stuff's true. But I'm just going to let you know, today, I'm jumping all over the place. We are all over chapter 3 and chapter 4. We're going to be back and forth, right? There's not a nice linear system today. So if you want to just follow along on the screen, I don't blame you a bit. But if I was sitting where you're sitting, I would still have my Bible open and still be trying to track. So what I'm going to encourage you to do this week is go back to Hebrews 3 and 4 and read all of it together. Because we're not going to do the whole entire thing. We're going to be jumping around to see the points of how we need to find and where we need to find true rest. Now, the book of Hebrews is a very interesting book to me. Because we do not know who the author is. I, there's all sorts of, of speculation. Some people say it's Paul. Some people say it was Luke. Some people say it's Barnabas or Apollos. So, some, I even saw one thing this week that said it was Mary, the mother of Jesus. All right? as, as much as that may be kind of cool. In fact, um, back in college, uh, Leanne, while we were dating, was in a class where the professor had made a joke about the book of Hebrews. There's a, a thing in it that it kind of indicates like it could be a woman, but it's actually kind of a slight insult at women. Uh, I could tell you the joke later, but there's actually internal evidence that it's not a woman. It's actually written by a guy, but I don't think it was Paul because it just reads so differently than his letters. I, I don't think it's Luke because same thing. It's so different than the gospel of Luke or Acts, like just word structure, the sentence, the feel of it. So now you may be positive, say, but wait a second. If, if we don't know who the author is, how is it included in the New Testament canon? Because when the Council of Nicaea met together, deciding what is actually going to be the scriptures. Because, I mean, the Jews had what we call the Old Testament. But th them, that was just the scriptures. And so they had this canon. But now there seemed to be, because of the cross, this new work. So what books are we to read and allow to, to help lead us and guide us and teach us? You know, a lot of the churches were using Paul's letters. And those were kind of a given. But they decided that there were two rules. One rule was it had to be either written by an apostle, like Paul. Or it had to be written by someone who was closely associated with the apostle. So like Mark. Mark was closely associated with Peter. And so that was kind of the, the, you know, one of the rules. So Hebrews, we don't know who the author is. So how did it get included? Because we don't know if it was an apostle or someone closely tied to an apostle. Well, when you start studying it and reading it, you realize that the author, whoever it was, had this deep understanding of the Old Testament 
starts exegeting the scriptures and how, showing how it points to Christ. And the churches, as they found out about this sermon, it's not really a letter, it's more of a sermon. As they found out about it, they began to study it and found it helpful and it really guided them. And so because the ancient church said, yes, this is a work of God, they accepted it into the canon. And that's why we can study it to this day. Now, if we were to ever do a sermon series on Hebrews, maybe one day we'll get there. I already know what I would title the series. It'd be called Jesus is Better. Because that's like the theme of Hebrews. I mean, you start in chapter one, you quickly see Jesus is better than angels. You keep going. Jesus is better than Abraham. Jesus is better than Moses. The author even spends some time talking about a mysterious character named Melchizedek and how Jesus is out of the line and Jesus is actually better than Melchizedek. Well, today we're going to see that Jesus is better than something else. And it's here in Hebrews 3 and 4. So join me in Hebrews 3. And what we're going to first do is we're going to kind of knock off three things that we often turn to for rest. And we're going to discover that true deep rest will not be found in those. We need to eliminate three things first before we can get to where we really do find true rest. So the first thing we got to kind of knock off the mantle is that true rest is not a place. All right. True rest is not a place. Join me in Hebrews 3 starting in verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, as I began to work this week on this passage, open it up, and I quickly see a tiny little italicized letter C next there next to the word today in verse 7. Well, that means there's a note, so I go to the bottom, and I see it says Psalms 95, 7 through 11. So if you do what I did this week, you flip over to Psalm 95, you make it your way down to verse 7, and sure enough, there's the second half of verse 7, you see the word today. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah. As on the day at Massah in the wilderness. And you stop. You say, well, wait, wait, wait a second. Th there weren't places mentioned over in Hebrews. No, it, it, back in Hebrews, it talked about like some rebellion or, or something like that. What, what is this Meribah and Massah? Like, did the author, was he using something else? Is this not Psalm 95? Actually, the author does a great job of translating Psalm 95 for us. Let me explain. These two places we discover are mentioned in Exodus chapter 17. In Exodus 17, Moses has just helped bring the Israelite people out of slavery in Egypt. They've crossed through the Red Sea. They've received manna as bread. And now in chapter 17, they're in the wilderness and they start to get really thirsty. But rather than just turn and ask Moses or ask God, hey, can we have a drink? They actually begin to fight and argue against Moses, and therefore they're arguing and fighting against God. They begin to rebel. Now, I want you to think about the audacity of that. They were in slavery for 400 years. God suddenly brings in Moses and Aaron. These 10 plagues happen. The, the Egyptians finally give up, relent, and let the people go. They make their way through, and then the, the Israelites are like, Oh, I mean, the Egyptians are like, oh no, we shouldn't have let them go. Our, all our slaves just left. We're going to have to do all the work ourselves. So the army starts to chase them. God is leading the Israelites through the wilderness by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. 
when the Egyptian army starts to catch up, the pillar of fire goes behind the people to help protect them. So the army can't get to the Israelites. Then overnight, the Red Sea parts. God has the people walk through. They get to the other side. Then the pillar of fire and cloud lifts up. So the Egyptian army takes off after them and the waters crash in on them. But that's not even all. Then the people now find themselves on the other side of the Red Sea. They're in the desert. There's no food. What are they going to do? And suddenly God sends manna. Manna, the word manna just merely means, what is it? All right, it was just this wafer bread that suddenly appeared on the ground. And every day they could collect it and they could eat. And every once in a while, God would send in a flock of quail so they could have some meat. So if this God who could provide them with freedom, who could provide them with protection, who could provide them with a path and provide them with food, I think he could provide them with a drink. But instead, the people get mad. Rather than trusting God, they test God. I mean, this would be like you in the hospital with your mother who's dying of cancer, and you're pleading by her bedside, crying out to God, please, would you heal her? Would you let her remain on this earth? And God answers your prayer. Your mother suddenly recovers. And in your joy, you walk down to the vending machine to get a Coke, and instead all they have are Pepsi products, and you throw a hissy fit. Why would God let your mother be put in a hospital that doesn't have Coke That's how ridiculous the Israelites are in this moment. God has done all this for them, and yet they still rebel, and they test him. Well, God, showing that he's God, instructs Moses to strike a rock with his staff, and he does, and water pours forth. Now, some of you know your Old Testament stories, and so don't confuse this story in Exodus 17 with the similar one that takes place in uh, Numbers uh, chapter 20. Because in Numbers 20, the same thing happens. The people are complaining, whining, we need water. So God in Numbers 20 says to Moses, I want you to merely speak to the rock. Because by speaking to it, God would show he had the power. But Moses in his frustration and anger doesn't speak to the rock like he does in Exodus 17. He strikes it. In fact, he strikes it twice. Well, God still is merciful, brings water forth. But then God tells Moses, because of your rebellion against me, because you wouldn't trust me, You're not going to go into the promised land with the people. I'm going to let your right-hand man, Joshua, be the one to lead them and guide them. And he's going to get to enjoy the benefits because you wouldn't trust me. But in Exodus 17, he doesn't tell Moses to speak. He says, strike the rock and I'll bring forth water. And God did. But God's frustrated with the people. After all he's done for them, they're still whining and complaining, testing him and rebelling against him. So Moses names the place. And he names it Meribah and Massah because Massah means testing and Meribah means quarreling or rebellion. So in Hebrews chapter 3, this author, when he quotes Psalm 95, isn't being unfaithful by not mentioning Meribah and Massah. He's actually helping us translating the meaning behind them because he knows Hebrew. He knows what these words mean and he knows why they got the names they did. And he's warning his readers, don't be like the ancient Israelites. Don't rebel against God. Don't complain against against him. Instead, let your heart be soft. Today, come to him. Follow your Lord. So he's actually helping us see that that it's rebellion, this lack of belief that, that doesn't allow the people to come into the promised land. Eventually, it wasn't in that moment, but eventually the the people end up rebelling so much against God that he finally is like, that's it. 
I'm done with you. I'm going to fulfill my promise and give it the promised land to, to the people, but it's not going to be to this generation. I'm going to let your kids and your grandkids be the ones to get to enjoy the promised land. That's why the Israelites wandered the desert for 40 years. God is just allowing them to naturally die off, and eventually it's the children who've risen up. They're now adults. They're the ones having kids, and they're the ones who get to cross over and take possession of the promised land. So often we think if we could just get some sort of promised land, everything would be better. But it's not. I mean, just think of the Israelites. What, what happened with them? They get to go in, they take possession, but within a few generations, they're rebelling. They're not actually following God. They start trying to worship other gods. They, they, they don't follow God's laws. And so they, they don't end up with a true rest because God ends up sending prophets to warn them. When the people don't listen, he sends droughts and insect invasions to affect the crops, hoping that will help turn their hearts back to him. When that doesn't work, he then sends warring nations. And twice in Israel's history, they get taken into exile, removed from the land. Because God knows that true rest, true peace is not found in a place. That's why the author of Hebrews says this over in chapter 4, verse 7. Oh, I'm sorry, not verse 7, verse uh, uh, 9. Uh, sorry, verse 8. For if Joshua, so Moses' right-hand guy who took over, for if Joshua had given them rest, in other words, when Joshua led them into the promised land, if that really had provided them with the true, lasting, deep rest they longed for, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. God knew that the people would not find a true deep rest in a place. It's going to be found somewhere else. And that's what we need to learn. Sometimes we think that if I can just get to the lake, to the cabin, if I could just get to my favorite seat by my window, my, my favorite restaurant, if I could just get to that place, oh, then I'll have true rest. For some of us, it, it's something new. We need a new city, a new job, a new relationship, a new church. If I could just get there, oh, then I will have rest. Now, don't, don't mishear me. I am not saying that those places are bad or wrong. Right? For instance, every year in November, I always go to the Solitude Cabin at Pine Lake Christian Camp. And every year when I walk in, I can just feel myself exhale. I can drop my bags. I can take off hiking just around the lake. And there's just something healing and restorative about it. But it doesn't provide true, lasting rest. <laughs> because guess up, when my 48 hours are done, I get back in the car. I drive back to Waverly because there's still a church to lead and serve and love. There's still a family to do the same. There's still a schedule that, that, that keeps happening. And I, I write back in the, the hubbub and chaos of just life. It's not true rest. I think those moments when you're at the cabin, when, when you're at your favorite restaurant, when you're off on vacation, when you go to these places and you feel a sense of rest, I feel like that's just a glimpse of true rest. It's not the full rest in and of itself. And that's where we're sucking our souls dry because we so often run to these temporary things thinking that's what's finally going to do it. But it doesn't. So that's why we keep running to another thing and another thing and another thing, seeking this true rest. True rest is not going to be found in a place. The second thing, true rest will not be found in a day. True rest is not a day. When God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, 
he was going to form them into their own nation. And to be a nation, they needed some, some rules, some laws to help lead them, to guide them, to protect them. And so God gave through Moses this law. So it's often called the Mosaic Law. Well, the Mosaic Law starts off with the Big Ten, known as the Ten Commandments. And the fourth commandment says this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so to the ancient Jews... From sundown Friday to sundown Saturday was a day of rest. No work was to take place. It was to be a day of rest, a day of worship, not a day of work. Now, through the years, sometimes they held to it, sometimes they didn't. There's periods where they actually forgot about the Sabbath, and then the law gets discovered and gets read to the people, and they recommit themselves back to it. And when Jesus comes along, the Pharisees, who had a deep respect and love for God's law, had really brought this back. And so in Judaism at Jesus' time, the Sabbath was incredibly precious. They ignored some of the other Ten Commandments, but not the fourth. They held that one tight. And that's why they were so ticked off at Jesus when he would do things like heal people on the Sabbath. Because in their mind, healing is work. And clearly he's doing work on the Sabbath, so he must not be from God. Now, never mind that the, the uh, Sabbath laws had loopholes in them for things like when your donkey falls into a hole. By all means, you can work to get your donkey out on the Sabbath. That's okay. But God forbid you would even help someone out of the hole of blindness on the Sabbath or help someone out of the hole of deafness or someone who can't walk or someone who's hungry, that you would help them out of that hole. Oh, that's work. You're not from God. You see, they thought that by observing the Sabbath, that's how they would find true rest. That by observing the Sabbath, God would be happy and he would give them this true rest. But the author of Hebrews tries to point out that it's not about one particular day. Go to verse 7. Again, he, God, appoints a certain day today, saying through David, the author of Psalm 95, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. In other words, Rest is not going to be found just in a Sabbath day. Rest can be found today. It's not something that's just relegated there. It can be right now. That's, that's why he goes on in verses 9, uh, I mean, and, uh, yeah, 9 and 10. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Did you hear what he said there in verse 9? So there therefore remains, like it's still awaiting. There remains a Sabbath. If the Sabbath could complete it, it could provide us with that true deep rest, then the author would not say, yet there still remains a Sabbath rest. Just as he's saying with the, the place, there's still something else awaiting us. There's another day. He's saying about the Sabbath day, there's still something else. There's something deeper. There's something better. True rest is not going to be found by holding this one day. So that means we've got to get our hopes off of the weekend. We, we, we've got to keep our hopes off of Christmas. We, we, we cannot put all of our emotional eggs into the vacation basket. We cannot just live for retirement. 
those days will not bring true rest. Now again, don't, don't mishear me. There are days when we, we need that rest, right? When God gave the fourth commandment, it was for the protection of the people. It's actually really, really good advice to have some sort of Sabbath, to take a break, to just find a chance to sit at the feet of Jesus, to worship him, to be restored. In fact, more of us probably need to, to work a little harder. And we're going to talk about this here in just a, a little bit of, of finding ways and times to protect our schedule so that we get some time off. But what I'm trying to caution us against is putting all of our emotional eggs into that day basket. That if I could just get that day, then I will be at peace. Then I will have rest. Those days, they give us a glimpse, but they aren't it in and of themselves. So true rest is not found in a place and a true rest is not found in a day. The third thing I want to point out is that true rest is not lack of activity. True rest is not found in a lack of activity. If you uh, ever ran into a f- friend at, you know, let's just say you, you, you walked into duos, getting some coffee or ice cream, and a friend's right there in front of you, and you guys strike up a conversation, and, and you suddenly realize they are running ragged. Like, they are worn out. I mean, you can see it in their eyes. Like, the stress is just palpable. Like, their hair even looks frizzy just from the stress. And you can't help yourself. You give them advice, and your advice is, you need a break. Like, you, you need a nap. You need rest. And, and, and that's good advice. But it shows that we often equate rest with a lack of activity. And, and that's not what the author of Hebrews says at all. Notice verse 11. He says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. If resting was just merely lack of activity, he would not tell us to strive Rest can actually be active. Some of us, we need to actively rest. We need to strive to protect our schedule. We need to strive to find the things that will actually feed our souls, not things that are empty. You know, sometimes the the activities we engage in for rest, it's kind of like candy for our soul. It might taste really good in the moment, but it isn't going to provide the nourishment that we need. We need to actively rest by finding the places, the ways, the means in order to get true rest that shows us and reminds us where true rest is found. And that's where I want to get to today is that true rest is not found in a place or a day or even a lack of activity. True rest is found in a person. Now, true rest is not found in just any person. I mean, all you have to do is get into a dating relationship or a married and you quickly find out that, uh, yeah, there's not true rest found in every relationship. No, true rest is found in one person, Jesus. Remember, I, I said that the theme of Hebrews is Jesus is better. What the author is saying here in chapters three and four is that Jesus is better than the Sabbath. He's better than the promised land. He's better than anything we could go to for rest. Because he is rest. That's why the author said back in verse 10 that we need to rest from our works. Because what he's talking about is not our physical labor on this earth, but our spiritual labor. Because so often we can sense spiritually the distance between us and God. And so we go about trying to repair the gap by working. And so we we hope that we could come to God someday and say, hey, I gave a bunch of money. I went to church. I read the Bible. I even helped some old ladies across the street. You gotta let me in. 
We work and work and work trying to somehow find this rest to get into God's favor. And instead, God is saying, no, it's not what you do. It's what Jesus has already done. Jesus is better than any work you could do. He's better than any promised land you could settle in. He's better than any Sabbath day that you could enjoy. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the Saturday, of the Sabbath. He is the fulfillment of the promised land. He is everything. Your true rest is found in him. But, but what is it that elevates Jesus above all others? It's the gospel. I mean, no one else came to this earth, the sinless son of God. No one else went to a cross to die in our place. No one else rose again from the dead. And so true rest is found in Jesus, but it's found through the gospel. And that's my last point today. True rest is found in the gospel and in nothing else. Those, those momentary moments that you have, the, the day out at the lake, the vacation out to Yellowstone, just even hanging out with your family, playing games on Friday night, those moments of joy, those moments of rest, they are to give you glimpses of the gospel. Because you realize that there is a rest awaiting us, a rest that is still to come, a rest that is only found today in Christ. That's what I want for you guys. I want you to find this sort of true rest. Because as I look around the room, I see people that are busy. Busy with jobs. You're busy with family. You're busy with all sorts of activities. Some of you, you're, you're busy serving Riverwood. And we need to be working people. But our work is not there to impress God. We work because we're impressed by him. And because it's really about him and he's the one who keeps everything going, sometimes we just need to take a break. Not to find our true rest in the break, but to be reminded that Jesus is our rest. And so every break we take is merely worship of him. So, would you let the place, the lake, draw you to Jesus? Would you let the day, the, the weekend, draw you to Jesus? Would you allow the time that you just sit by the window looking outside at nature and just that lack of activity, would you let it draw you to Jesus? That's what I think the author means when he's talking about striving to enter that rest. To, to, to strive to get into the word. To strive to protect our schedule. To strive to get into relationship with other believers. To not let the world around us just simply tell us what we need to be doing. But for us to strive and get to the place where Jesus is the center of everything and we have that true rest, even in the midst of our busiest seasons. That's what we want to do today. We just want to put our eyes on Jesus. We just want to take a moment to rest. Would you pray with me? Father God, right now, would you help us to just exhale? To just let go of the, the busyness of this life. The, the changes that might be coming up, the, the chaotic season we find ourselves in, the, the stress we may feel over all of that, would you help us to just let it go? To know that you are a sovereign God who is in complete control. And because of who you are and what you've done for us through Jesus, we can rest. Jesus, would you help us to find our true rest in you? Not in a movie. Not in food, not in drink, not in any other activity, but in you and you alone. You be the source of joy that we find. 
May you be our source of meaning and life. May you be everything to us. And that as we just sit in your presence in prayer, as we sing songs to you about your glory, as we study the scriptures to learn more about what you've done, that it would give true rest for our souls. So God, would you help us to breathe? Would you help us to just be? Would you help us to be Jesus-centered? And it's in his name we pray. Amen.